This is Chris from Play Comics, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. And now it's time for our feature presentation. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 178, TV shows that deserved one more season. McBrien along with Derek Myers and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Derek, how are you my friend? Doing well Chris as always. How are you tonight? I'm doing good. I mentioned on Twitter this week that one of my favorite things is every week getting together talking with one of my best friends and that's exactly what we're doing again this week so always good to talk to you. You too bud. Always good to hear from you. Anything Um, uh, new in pop culture in your world? Yeah, uh, two things real quick. Uh, One, I had a chance to go back and watch, I don't know if we call it classic. How old does a movie have to be before you can call it classic? I don't know. Well, you know me. I mean, like, I I saw a meme on Facebook or something the other day, and it was like, friends don't tell friends that 1980 was 40 years ago. I'm like, oh, my God. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question. What what would you say? What do you think is a classic? I get for me, a classic is like maybe the 70s. I guess, I don't know, maybe the 80s, I guess now, but to me, that's all I watch. So what do I know? What do you, what would you say is a, is a classic? Yeah, I don't know. I, I maybe 25, 30 years. Just kids, anyway. to, kids. So kids today are like, well, it came out in 99. It's a classic. Well, okay. So that's where I'm going with this. So the movie I watched was from 1994. It was a nominated for a best picture. It was the movie Four Weddings and a Funeral. Oh. Did you ever see it? No, no, I didn't. Uh, that's uh Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant or something. Yeah. No, yeah. I haven't seen it's, it. Yeah. So I, I had seen parts of this movie. I never actually sat down and watched it from beginning to end. It, it's on cable a lot. It's been on TV a lot over the years. I mean, it's a good movie and good. Uh, yeah. it is quite good. And so, you know, I, I'd seen little bits and pieces like the movie's clear. It's called four weddings and a funeral. There's basically five scenes, the four weddings and the funeral. So I've seen the individual scenes, but I've never watched it start to finish. So I finally, it was on one of the cable networks a couple of weeks ago. I recorded it. Finally had a chance to sit down and watch it start to finish. It was great. I really enjoyed it. And I was a little surprised that I had never actually seen it start to finish. It turns out I'd never actually seen like the first 15 minutes that that was the part that was new to me. The rest of the movie, for the most part, I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. This makes a little more sense now that I know how the movie began. And some of the jokes sort of build on things as each wedding happens, there's certain things that are repeated. So having not seen them the first time, I didn't understand why some of the things were as funny in previous viewings, but yeah, it was good. I I would recommend it for people. Again, I don't know if we can call it a classic. I don't know if it's old enough, but it certainly has the pedigree. It's got a a great cast, great director, great writer, and it was nominated for best picture. It didn't win, but uh, yeah, four weddings and a funeral. It was pretty good. If you haven't seen it and you're looking for an older film to watch, it's, it's good light affair. That's the first thing. What was the second thing that you did? Well, pop culture the second wise? thing is a documentary, of course. For 40 days and 40 nights, watch documentaries. He likes to learn about the world. It's Derek's documentaries. Derek's documentaries. You've definitely started a trend because I have a documentary for us, too. 
Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, well, I did last week and now I do again. So go ahead. Wow. What do you got? Okay. So this is probably one of the best documentaries I've seen in a long, long time. It's one that I think everyone will be interested in. And I think absolutely everyone listening to this podcast should search out and watch. It's called Sesame Street, 50 Years of Sunny Days. It's available on YouTube for free. It aired on, I want to say, ABC last week. And it's now available for free on YouTube. It runs 90 minutes. And it is a retrospective of Sesame Street going back over the 50. I think they, they're in their 51st year now, I, I believe. And it, it talks about how Sesame Street was an instrument for change, how it was groundbreaking in so many ways and continues to be, how it addressed social issues, how it's addressed all sorts of things worldwide. And it's become a worldwide cultural phenomenon. And you'd be hard pressed to find anybody, and I literally mean anybody, who is unfamiliar with Sesame Street in some way, shape, or form. And it, it, this thing is an emotional roller coaster. It's going to bring back a lot of memories, no matter how old or how young you may be when you when you watch this documentary. They go through the entire 50 years of the run of the show. And they do a lot of interviews with people who um, were performers on the show, uh, guests on the show. They talk about a lot of the people that created the various Muppets. And they just they talk about so many different things about how it's been so influential and so important for the development of, of children and learning over the years. Uh, you'll, you're going to laugh for some parts. You're going to cry at some parts. It's super good. I can't wait to watch it again. Sesame Street, 50 years of sunny days. It's available on YouTube for free. Highly recommend. Everybody goes and checks it out. So I was chuckling there when you first mentioned that because <clears throat> I mentioned that I have a documentary that I want to talk about. And I'm obviously friends with you and, and your lovely wife on social media. And this week I noticed that, uh, that your wife had posted a link and said, oh, there's this great documentary called 50 Years of Sunny Days. And uh, so I thought, oh, that's that's Sesame Street. I got to check it out. So it's the same thing. It's the same one. Oh, we have go. the same documentary. <laughs> so I saw her post that link. So just tonight, earlier tonight, I said to my son, my oldest son, he's 11. And I said, I've got something I want to watch and I want you to watch it with me. So we put it on and it's like you said, it's on YouTube. You just have to find 50 years of sunny days. And it was unbelievable. Now, as you know, I've mentioned many times, I am a huge fan of Sesame Street. We know one thing we've never done on this show, whenever we do our top five lists and we're doing one tonight, um, anytime that we've done, we've never done our favorite TV shows of all time, but I will tell you right now, I'm just going to, you know, put it out there. If we ever do that as a topic, Sesame Street's probably number one for me. Wow. It is. I, I, I can't even explain how it's just so good. It's so good in so many ways. So we watched this tonight and now another thing, you know, I, I just kind of put everything out there and, you know, put my heart on my sleeve and I don't care. I, um, everyone knows I'm a big softy. I, I watched it. I cried. I oh, I cried. I was crying. My wife and I are crying. Yeah. I was like, oh my God. I was just in tears watching. It was just so good. Like what, what a quality show. The things they talk about, the way they addressed Mr. Hooper's death almost right up front at the beginning of the show. Like it's just, oh, it's just so good. So good. That's so good. Like just, and then, and then the whole episode they did on divorce with Snuffleupagus and then they didn't air the show. Like, what a great show. Oh, my God. That show is so, so good. So, yes, my documentary is the same as yours. I watched it thanks to your wife posting the link on social media. 50 years of sunny days. And 
absolutely sunny days indeed. And then the thing is, it's it's multi-generational because yes. I watched it as a kid and loved it. Like it was a part of my childhood and I learned from watching that show and I've passed that on to my children. And as an adult, I like it even more. I enjoy it. I'm getting more out of it as an adult and my kids love it. And I don't know how many times in a day we reference these old 70s Sesame Street episodes we because they're all available on on uh, YouTube. So we watch them all the time and they love it as much as I do. And in a day and an age where it's all about CGI and, you know, the biggest, you know, greatest, you know, movies and all this special effects, this show still hits home. And and it affects people on, on a different level. So, oh, so good. I'm so glad you mentioned it. It was so good, man. So, so good. One thing, though, that's not always good. Here's your dad joke of the week. All right, Derek, I got one for you. Why did the old man fall in the well? Um, he was wishing to be younger. I have no idea. Because he didn't see that well. Oh, my God. I think I got a well with your name on it, bud. He didn't see that well. He didn't see that well, Derek. Ishtar. This movie was so bad. Most people hate this movie. Maybe looking at it with today's lens. I personally like this movie. It was terrible. Lip smacking, back snapping, perfectly delicious. Just awful. I can't I can't think of anything good to say about it. I like what I like. You know, I make no apologies about it. Turnabout is fair play. I've literally watched 10 seasons of Bob Ross, The Joy of Painting. It is fantastic. At least we didn't lead lives of quiet desperation. All right, buddy. I would say more than once in the history of television, a TV show has ended before it should have, you know, at least in the opinion of some people, you know. So you and I got thinking, what TV shows deserved one more season? You know, maybe they were canceled too soon or they left some loose ends. Regardless of the reason that the show ended, you know, we want to know what were the TV shows that, that should have had one more season? So that's the question we want to explore. So so let's just dive right in. So we're going to do this as one of our typical top five lists. Derek, you can kick us off. What is your number five TV show that you think deserved one more season? Okay, so I, I approach this from a couple of different <laughs> avenues before we jump into the list. I thought about it in a couple of ways. I was like, okay, do we want to imagine that we wish this show had one more season immediately following whatever was their last season. So let's say this is not on my list, but let's say, for example, the original Star Trek was on my list. Do I want, am I wishing that there was another season of that original Star Trek in the, when were they canceled? 69. So in 1970 with all that same cast, just being one year older, or am I looking to have that show come back for one more year, say now in some sort of rebooted format or some sort of, you know, something like that. Uh, maybe Star Trek's a bad example because they sort of did that. But for most of my most of my picks, I, I basically wanted it just I wanted one more season that that aired immediately after whatever we got as the last season. But I do have one that I I, I wanted to sort of see it more in today's lens. So when we get to that, I'll talk about it a little more. The other thing is that I think a lot of the shows that became fan favorites after they were canceled 
especially in today's day and age with social media, there have been there's been a lot of groundswell and there's been the power of the people where if enough people express interest and the companies that own this intellectual property realize there's an opportunity to make money, they have in many cases brought back shows, maybe like a, say a comedy show like Roseanne. It's 25 years later and you just pick it up 25 years later. Everybody's older. It's sort of a next generation thing. Full House did it with Fuller House. Will and Grace is back Will on and the Grace, air. Yeah. Um, I think they're even doing it with Mad About You. Like there's a lot of shows that are now doing this. Um, because there's going to there be a is, friends reunion too. I'm hearing. So yeah, this is a, common yeah. Thing. So, so it happens. It's happening more now because there's with, with social media and technology, uh, these things can, there, people can express their desire in a way that is more public than maybe they could have 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. And you know, when we were younger, if a show was canceled, the show was canceled. That was it. It's done. Yeah, yeah, you want to write some letters? I mean, that again, we'll go back to Star Trek original series. That was one of the big things, right? Is they I think they were going to cancel after the second season and because of enough fan reaction, they got one more season out of it because of all the letters that got written in. But that was that was the exception rather than the norm. You just didn't see that happening that often. And then in the 90s and 2000s, you started to see this change as as communication as the world became smaller because communication tools changed. And I'm thinking uh, like one of the shows that was a fan favorite that people felt you know, it was a one and done was Firefly. And people were like, oh, man, we really wish that had been canceled. It wasn't a huge ratings hit when it came out, but it got a lot of fan support after the fact. Well, they ultimately ended up going back and doing a movie because they realized there is an opportunity to tell more story with these characters and the, the companies can make money and the fans will be happy. Now, whether or not they were happy with the movie, that's a whole other argument. But again, we see that happening a lot, too, where instead of doing another season of a show, perhaps there's an opportunity to do a movie that tries to wrap up some loose ends. So it, it sort of handcuffs us a little bit with the lists that some shows that we may thought may have thought, Hey, this could have a, this would be great if it had another season. It's sort of being addressed or it's been addressed. Um, so I, I tried to stay away from anything like that on my list simply because there has been some sort of continuation. So after all of that qualification, <laughs> Oh, and the other thing, yes, we're not erasing anything that aired. If it aired, it's canon. So I, I talked to a few of my friends and they said, well, you know, maybe if this show, we just forgot about the last season and we got a new version of, quote, the last season, that would have been better. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not the premise we're working under. Yeah. We want to, it's, this is literally just, this happens after whatever the last episode was. And so you can't erase what already happened. You can't say, oh, the last season was a dream. It's like, we want to genuinely see one more season of a show. So, mm-hmm. Okay. Now I'm ready to start. My number five pick yes. is Quantum Leap. Okay, so, you, you like that show. You've mentioned yeah. this show before. So I've never we, seen when this we talked about When we talked about shows that were ripe for reboot, it was on my list there, too. Yeah, I think it was number was five on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So Quantum Leap, for those who maybe are not as familiar, it ran five seasons from 1989 to 1993. They did 97 episodes. It starred Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell. It was created by Donald P. Belisario, who has created a lot of great TV shows. I believe he did Magnum P.I. I think he's a force behind the NCIS franchise. Uh, he has a lot of great shows under his belt. 
Um, the premise with Quantum Leap is that uh, the main guy is a time traveler. He steps into the time travel machine in the first episode and he wakes up somewhere in the past, except it's basically his mind and someone else's body. And every week he gets to be somebody else in a different time frame and he gets to try and correct something. What did, what's the credit say? Set right something that once went wrong. And when he makes the change and corrects history for the better, he leaps, hence the Quantum Leap in the title, and he leaps into somebody else. And so for five seasons, that's what happened. It was an interesting premise. It was an interesting show. It was. Um, it also gave the actor, in this case Scott Bakula as the lead, an opportunity to really demonstrate his acting chops. Whether you love him or hate him, every single week he was a new character while still being the time-traveling character. And that always fascinates me when you've got a cast that is talented enough to do something like that. You want to see that again. I would have liked to have seen a sixth-season immediately following the season that aired. I would not want them to go back to this now with this cast because it's been 30 years and I don't think that would necessarily make sense with the way the story worked. But they, some of the episodes in that last season got started to get a little silly, but they were also starting to explore some different avenues. And I think one more season could have uh, really explored a little bit of new ground. And I, I didn't get the sense that they really realized that the show was coming to an end. Like the, the last show was sort of a wrap up show, but it would have been nice to uh, to have more of a, a a story arc that could have cleanly ended. So my number five pick, Quantum Leap. No, I, I like that. And and I, you bring up something that I think is interesting is that you know would we make this season you know back then or or now years later? And I didn't really put any thought into that. For me, I just approached this all as it should have been back then. You know, when the show ended, it deserved another season. So that's the way sure. I approached it. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> I've always liked when a show can be totally different and challenge what we expect a, you know, quote unquote, typical TV show to be. And that was certainly the case with my number five. And that's the 1990 to 1992 Fox series created by, produced by, and starring Chris Elliott, Get a Life. This show was weird. I mean, really weird. And it it got weirder and weirder by every episode. But the 90s were all about independent films and alternative music, you know, and stuff like that. So I feel like there was a place for this kind of show then, but it just never found an audience. And like I say, it, it was not your typical TV show. It's, so it's basically about this guy played by Chris Elliott. And he's just this big man child like he never grows up he's got a paper route i was gonna he, say wasn't he a professional paper boy yes. like that was his grown-up job on a bike i seem to remember that yes. as part of the premise he's got yeah. a paper route he lives with his parents and they were played by eleanor donahue from the old andy griffith show and father's no father knows best and his real life dad bob elliott from the old um, duo bob and ray my parents took me to see bob and ray do their show live when I was a kid. I always remember that. But anyway, um, so Get a Life, it was this weird, weird, weird show. And the main character, Chris Elliott, even died more than once. You know, I remember there was an episode where there was this like eye in the side of his stomach and, and him and Brian Doyle Murray once they, I remember they lost like all the use of their muscles and they were just like laying there on the ground. <laughs> and one, one time this alien came down and it had this ooze coming out of it. And then they, they drank the ooze. <laughs> like I know it's, it's like the weirdest TV show in history. And it really was, but it was totally original. It was completely different. 
And I think the world needs more of that sometimes. It definitely did back in the 90s, and this show should have got one more season. So get a life with Chris Elliott. On to your number four. All right. Uh, definitely not a pick. If there had been any handicapping on betting in this episode, that would not have even made my... I, my, I would I, never have imagined it. I always had a soft spot for that show for some reason. I don't know why. All right. Fair mm. enough. Okay. All right. Uh, number four for me is uh, probably something that would be on just about everybody's list. It's Freaks and Geeks. It ran for one season from 99 to 2000. They did 18 episodes. Uh, this one starred uh, Linda Cardinelli, Busy Phillips, James Franco, Seth Rogen, Jason Siegel, and even Joe Flaherty as the father. Yes. It was executive producer was Judd Apatow. So, like, you hear this on paper now and you think, like, oh, my God, this show sounds like it was the greatest thing ever. And looking back and rewatching it, it, it was quite good. But it was sort of came out at a time when they really had a hard time finding an audience. And I guess the studios didn't really have faith in the show. They didn't feel that there was uh, enough financial incentive to carry it through for a second season. And this is one of those shows that when, when this question comes up and you ask people, especially people that are sort of our age or around our age, maybe even just a tiny bit younger, what's a show that you think got canceled too soon? Freaks and Geeks, one and done. Like it's it's one of these ones where people look back on it as sort of a, a groundbreaking kind of show, just for the 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 way that the characters interacted with each other, the the way the stories are presented, and um, it's one of those ones that it's if you haven't seen Freaks and Geeks, I, I'm positive you can find it on one of the streaming services. It's 18 to 30 minute episodes. It's great. It is it it still holds up. And uh, the performances are great. And uh, yeah, this is just this this slice of life. It's uh, the family, you know, it's it's basically it's like a it's it's a sitcom, right? It's the brother and sister, um, uh, the young brother's nerdy. And so it's about him and his nerdy friends. And the sister is like an elite student who in the first the first episode decides that this year in high school, she's going to like hang out with the cool kids. And uh, I think they refer to them as burnouts. And so it's just this sort of coming of age story about the two teenage kids and, and how the family revolves around it and all their friends. And yeah, no, it was, it's quite good. It's very strong. It really holds up freaks and geeks. I would love to have seen like so many other people, I think a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth season. Now, in all fairness, a lot of these people went on to other great things that they probably, well, I don't want to say probably, but they may not have had an opportunity like because they were not doing this show, they had to find other things and some of them really blossomed so had this show continued for two or three seasons, we might have been denied some of the things that they went on to do. But it's, a, you know, the road not taken. We don't know. I would love to have seen a second season. Freaks and Geeks, my number four. Great pick. Love that pick. Okay, my number four. I'm going to go with Kim's Convenience. So this show began as a, a play in the Toronto fin Fringe Festival back in 2011. And then it did a run at the Soul Pepper Theater in Toronto. It was very successful there. And then it toured the country. And then finally, it got developed into a half-hour television series. And it was pretty popular when it first ran on CBC. But then it got picked up by Netflix, and the show just took off. It gained worldwide popularity. The writing, the acting, just top-notch. It, it, Derek, it features your good friend, Paul Sun Young Lee. And it was the first TV show in Canada to feature an all-Asian cast. There was a TV show starring Margaret Cho in the United States back in 1994 that featured an all-Asian cast. It was called All-American Girl. But that show, it was really heavy with stereotypes. You know, but one of the things that, that made Kim's Convenience so good is the fact that it, it doesn't lean on the stereotypes. 
and make things sort of cartoony. In fact, I think that's what I like best about the show is when you think about Paul Lee's performance, it could have been so easy to just slip into playing this stereotypical Korean store owner, but he doesn't do that. But what he pulls off is pretty damn deft because he's such a talented actor. And and I'm not just saying that because he's your friend, Derek, but you know, then after the fifth season of this show, they just announced it was ending and it wasn't canceled by the network, but instead the two uh, co-creators and the showrunners announced they, they, they were going to leave and work on other projects. And the whole thing is still kind of a mystery and a little bit controversial, it seems. But the thing is, the show is at the top of its game, you know, and, you know, we know how great Canada is for producing great content. I mean, just think about this podcast, Derek. I mean, no, but, I, I don't think you could compare us to them in no, the same breath, but, but just, uh, just I, saying, I appreciate the attempt. Canada in general, you know, we, we produce lots of good stuff. But as much as we Canadians know how good our entertainment business is, the rest of the world was finally getting to see this as well, you know, with Kim's Convenience. And I, I think Canadians and I think the show's fans right around the world deserve to see kind of how these character arcs played out. And it would have been great to have just one more season of Kim's Convenience. So it's my number four. So yeah, on to your number pick. three. Good pick. Yeah. Yep. I really I, I, like that show a lot. It's yeah, so good. it's great. And it, for all the reasons you've said, yeah, yeah there's so, there's a lot to like about it. And yeah. again, for people looking for something to binge, it's on Netflix. If you haven't watched it, the shows are half an hour. Well, they're going to be less than half an hour. There's no commercials on Netflix. And so you can get through a lot of them in a very short time period. And believe me, you watch one or two of those episodes, you're going to get a pretty good sense of if it's a show for you. And I think more people than not have realized this. it's it's a great show. It's, it's just strong all around. So mm-hmm. good pick. Yeah. All right. My number three pick is a little British show called Fleabag. Fleabag ran for two seasons. And each season only had six episodes. So we got a total of 12 episodes ran from 2016 to 2019. They had a little break in the middle there. Uh, Written, created and starring Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Sean Clifford and Olivia Coleman. Uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge won a ton of awards for this show. Um, and Olivia Coleman has obviously gone on to win an Oscar and a bunch of other awards as well. Like, so the, the casting of this show is fantastic, strong performances. It's, uh, you know, one thing I will say is a lot of the British programming is, is done this way where it's only conceived as a one season show. They're going to do six episodes, going to do eight episodes, they're going to do 10 episodes. It's not like the typical american network tv where it's like we're gonna do 22 episodes and it's gonna run a full calendar year and i think a lot of shows over time on the u.s side have have been shackled a little bit where it's hard to carry a story arc through 22 one-hour episodes and keep up that momentum like there's a lot of filler you go back and watch any show that you remember fondly that has 22 episodes per season and i guarantee there's gonna be three or four filler episodes where you're like that was not a very strong show um I find with the British programming, it's all all killer, no filler. Like they do exactly the number of shows they need to tell their story and that's it. And then if they happen to come back into a second season, great. But it's it's rare that a show of, on the British side is designed that way. And I think Fleabag is a good example. She came out, she had her six episodes, she did what she wanted to do. It was a huge success. She got a lot of offers to come back and do another season. So she did and it was great. And that was it. With her with her her success, she's gone on to do other bigger, better things. And whether or not she ever decides to come back and do another uh, season of Fleabag doesn't sound like she's going to. But uh, um, 
hopefully she will. Uh, so it's a uh, just sort of I'm sorry, I forgot, got a little sidetracked there. I didn't talk about what the show's about. So people who maybe have not seen Fleabag before or who are not all that familiar with it, uh, I'll just read you the IMDb thing here. It says a comedy series adapted from a award winning award winning play about a young woman trying to cope with life in London whilst coming to terms with recent tragedy. So it's sort of a dark comedy and um, it's very much uh, a product of its time, like being the here and now, obviously pre-COVID. Um, the character, is, she has a very sharp wit and she's uh, has a, there's a lot of dark humor, a lot of like dirty humor in this. It's certainly not for everybody. Um, I, Chris, I think I had suggested that maybe you give it a try and I think you said you and your wife didn't really care for it so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but for me, I thought it was great. I binged uh, all 12 episodes over the course of like two or three days. I couldn't get enough of it. I, I would love to see a third season whether it is um, like because the show's only been off the air a couple of years, you would just bring it back right here right now and you would pick up where it left off and I would love it. So Fleabag is my number three pick. I'm glad that you mentioned number of episodes there because it, it seems like now, like especially with streaming and everything else, like you know, they can just arbitrarily pick, you know, this is going to be like you said, six episodes this is going to be a season. And, um, you know, other ones you mentioned 22, but back in the day, you know, back in my day, young man, um, it was always 35. There was 35 episodes in a season because TV used to start in September when the kids went back to school. That's when the new episodes all came out and it would mm-hmm. run until June and you would get 35 episodes of a TV show. And it, it mattered because you had to get into your season four before you would get enough episodes. You needed 100 episodes to get into syndication. Right. So you yeah, have to do like that. four seasons of a show to be before you could get into syndication. And that was kind of always the way, but that all, all that's like out the window now. Okay. My number three, you mentioned this one previously. So here it is. Um, I know it might seem crazy to think that, you know, we deserved one more season of a TV show that spawned an entire franchise of other shows and animated series and feature films. But Way back in 1969, NBC did not believe in this show, so it moved it to Friday nights, where it died a predictable death, <laughs> as most shows do, or did back in those days. Um, but I think we deserved one more season of Star Trek. So the original series remains, in my mind, the best of all the intellectual properties that it spawned, except maybe for Wrath of Khan. But the original series, uh, like you mentioned, Derek, it debuted in 1966. And the thing is, it dealt with issues of race and gender, and it explored topics like politics and authoritarianism and class warfare and religion. And it embodied a lot of what was going on at the time. In the 1960s, there was all that counterculture, you know, movement. The show was way ahead of its time, I think. And, and I think this was proven by the fact that it didn't really find a mass audience until it started to show in syndication in the 70s. I used to watch it every day at 5 p.m. after school when I was a kid. And it was groundbreaking. Like It was different. And it definitely had a dedicated audience. I, I think it's another example of the short-sighted studio executives who just don't have the foresight to know a good thing when it's right under their nose. And although it spawned a lot of, you know, you could say entertaining versions, you know, over the years, I think Star Trek, the original series, deserved one more season. So that's my number three. On to your number two. 
That's a good pick. Sorry, <clears throat> I didn't realize. Again, as we don't we don't share our lists no. with each other ahead of time. Nope. So I uh, sorry for stepping on your toes. I had no idea it was on your list. And and again, it wasn't one that I expected you to put on your list simply because it came back in so many iterations and their cast got movies like there were movies featuring, you know, William Shatner as Captain Kirk. So it, but I, I under, totally understand what you're saying. And hey, I, I agree with that pick. That's uh, that's mm-hmm. something I would have loved to have seen as well. All right. My number two pick. So this yes. this is the first one that where I don't want to see more episodes immediately after the show ended. I want to see new episodes now, and I'll tell you why. So my number two pick is The West Wing. Okay. So The West Wing ran seven seasons, mm-hmm. 155 episodes. It debuted in 1999. It ran till 2006. For maybe people who are not as familiar, it was created by Aaron Sorkin, who wrote the vast majority of the first four seasons, pretty much every episode, stars a phenomenal cast, Allison Janney, Martin Sheen, Bradley Whitford, Rob Lowe, Elizabeth Moss. Like This is a who's who uh, of performers from that time period, and some of these people are like uh, have gone on to even more success. I mean, Allison Janney has since won an Oscar and a bunch of Emmys. Elizabeth Moss is in The Handmaid's Tale and has had a fantastic career. Um, and I mean, Martin Sheen was already Martin Sheen before he even got to this. So th- this was a strong show uh, when it came out. It won the Emmy for Best Show uh, the first four years it was nominated. Like, there are so many good things to say about The West Wing. Whether you agreed with the politics it displayed or not, it was quality entertainment. I At the end of this seventh season, the the like the last two seasons of the show were about the campaign for the next president. Because, um, you know, as we all know, presidents have term limits. And so basically the end of the last season was when the new president had won the election and was coming into office. I wasn't really interested in seeing that cast just repeat the same thing I had seen, you know, the previous four or five years. Because the new president in the show wasn't all that different than the one we had had before. And and that's fine. I mean, from a from a entertainment point of view, great. What I would be interested in seeing now is a version of the West Wing set in today's political climate. I want to see somebody like Aaron Sorkin, maybe even Aaron Sorkin, give us that take. Someone who can view the political landscape and comment on it and create entertainment that has a message but pr- but presents it in an interesting way and bring it bring about a cast of people that are you know, I don't know if you can get a cast that was as talented as this one, but try to put together a cast that's as talented as this cast was, but do it today. Again, I don't want to see an old Bradley Whitford and old Rob Lowe and old Martin Sheen reprising their roles. They've had their chance and they did a great job. Cast brand new people, just like you do with real politics. The people that were in political office 20 years ago, very few of them are still in those political offices now and with things like the president you have term limits so the president couldn't still be the president but i would love 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 to get one more season of the west wing set now with some of the same creative juices behind it because the world has changed so much in 20 years and in some unfortunate ways it hasn't changed so much in 20 years i'd love to see how a witty creative person like aaron sorkin was or is would t- would handle that kind of thing given the issues of today. So, sort of a cheat pick. My pick, my second, my number two is West Wing. <clears throat> no, that's a good one. And uh, I started watching that, and I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. 
fantastic, and my wife didn't like it, so I didn't get to keep watching it. Maybe what they could do is take one of the secondary characters and have them maybe get some political ambitions, and they work their way up and became president or something. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely ways yeah. to to keep maybe a couple of the people from the original cast in it in some way, but a substantial amount of time has passed that I don't necessarily. I think most of the the performers that were in the roles they were in were already sort of. You know, they were mature enough that to bring them back now, they'd be in their late 60s and early 70s. It's like, well, which is not to say that's too old to be the president. Look at who the president is right now. Mm-hmm. Look at the last two presidents. They were right. both older. Um, so, yeah, it, it's uh, again, it's one of those ones that I'd love to see just another kick at it. And Maybe Rob Lowe could be president now. Yeah. Well, and that was one of the one of the um, storylines in the original show was that the president played by Martin Sheen. And more than one occasion, fully said to Rob Lowe's character, one day you will run for president. Like he, the, the, the president Bartlett on the show fully believed that Rob Lowe's character would be the president in that fictional world at some point. So well, there you go. Yeah. Maybe it can happen. All right. Okay. So my number two, no surprise here. I'm going with WKRP in Cincinnati. So it ran from 1978 to 1982, uh, four seasons. Uh, the first season has some of my favorite episodes in television history. I mean, they were so good. Uh, Season two was amazing too. Season three, not so much. Uh, Especially the first half of that season, there was some pretty bad episodes, I'll I'll be honest. Mostly because they took the show out of the studio for those early episodes in season three, and they pretty much sucked. You know, I think there was less in a plane there was the, the reality show that followed the Tarleks and there was the trip to Dayton. Ugh. But then the season got better in the second half and then season four was back to normal. And season four was actually pretty damn good. There was the bomb threat and Mama Carlson coming on to Andy and Herb was in the hospital. And then the final episode of season four, the ratings came out and the station is all the way up to number six, the number six station in the city. And Johnny was the number one DJ. And they were all set to come back for season five, but then they got canceled. It never happened. And I think like like, like a lot of great shows, the studio just didn't know what to do with this show. Like, like they didn't know, like, was it for DJs? Was, you know, Lonnie Anderson's sex appeal really... Did it make kind of target the show more toward men or was it an edgy comedy that was meant for more for younger adults? And beginning in season two, the studio execs just started moving the show around and they finally canceled it. Like I say, after season four. But the thing was, even though it got moved around and audiences basically had to send out a search party to find the damn thing. The show was really hitting its stride, and I think it deserved at least one more season. I think it would have been great if if the show just could have had a like a real ending, you know, and tied up, you know, the character stories so we know what happened to them all. I, I think ideally it probably would have followed kind of a realistic radio storyline and, you know, just maybe have the station change formats and all of them go their separate ways, just go, and they all go town to town and up and down the dial. You know, <laughs> I just, I think WKRP deserve one more season for sure. So that's my number two. So on to your number one. That's a good pick. I, I'm, I'm actually surprised that we don't, or we didn't get more shows that were set at a radio station. Like I think there was the show news radio, 
mm-hmm. that had Phil Hartman. Like, I think obviously, called News Radio. It took place in radio. But I don't remember, not that I watch that show that much, but I don't remember a lot of that show taking place. Like, it wasn't about the radio. It was more about the characters. But a radio station just seems like a good place to set a sitcom. You can have so many interesting characters. But in any case. I think WKRP just sort of set the standard for it. And anything after that would just be like, oh, it's just being WKRP. So I think that's part of it. And also maybe there's just not that interest in terrestrial radio anymore. So it's just kind of. Yeah. And like I said, they like the, even the, the studios back then, who's this for? Is it for DJs? Is it for who's interested in radio and seeing what happens there? I guess. So, you know, there's a lot of things, you know, working against that format, I guess. So, mm-hmm. right. Number one, what do you got? All right. So my number one is going to be a disappointment for a lot of people because it's going to be a show they've never heard of. It was another one of these one and dones. It, it was a show called Flash Forward. You ever heard of it, Chris? Uh, no. No. Okay, let me tell you a little bit about it. It ran one season, 23 episodes. Mm-hmm. It uh, was from 2009, 2010, so not that old. Uh, had a pretty reasonable cast. Starred people like Courtney B. Vance, Joseph Fiennes, John Cho, Dominic Monaghan. It was uh, created for TV by uh, Brandon Braga and David S. Goyer. Uh, the first guy is responsible for most of Star Trek The Next Generation and most of the spinoffs that came from Star Trek after that. And David S. Goyer is a uh, writing partner with uh, Christopher Nolan. He wrote all the new Batman films featuring Christian Bale. And if you look up his IMDb, he's got a ton of phenomenal movie writing credits. So, like, these are two guys that really knew what they were talking about. It's based uh, loosely based on a novel also called Flash Forward by Canadian author Robert J. Sawyer. When I heard this show was coming out and I heard about the premise, I thought, oh, that sounds kind of neat. So I actually went out and read the novel before the show premiered. And I was a little disappointed that it changed some of the premise, but I could totally understand why. So this is what this show is about. Uh, Again, both the book and the show, same idea. In the pilot episode, everybody on the planet Earth passes out. Nobody knows why. And they all see something that happens to them in their future. And as people start to compare the stories... Everybody realizes that for whatever reason, every conscious person on the planet saw something that happens in their life at the exact same moment one year in the future. And they're able to figure out that it was like from this time to this time, that's what you saw. So for some people, it was boring. They were driving their car or they were reading a book or they were watching a television program. But the characters that they follow through the course of the story saw interesting things like one guy sees himself shooting someone and one guy sees a building explode and one guy realizes he's drowning. And it's so you have these characters that realize something fantastic is going to happen to them in a year, but they have no understanding of how they get there. And they have no idea if this is something that could be changed. And they don't really understand, like nobody understands why this happened in the first place. So you've got this uh, competing mysteries happening in the story where you're trying, you like as new characters are introduced, we, the audience, get to see their flash forward. What did they see? Because I think it was only, I think, if I remember correctly, it was like a 10-second snippet. Like, it wasn't you got to witness your whole day of what you did. You only saw a very small flash, hence the flash forward in the title. And so it's this combination of the scientists trying to understand how and why this happened, and will it happen again, and everybody else just trying to figure out, like, well, what does this mean? And so some people didn't have a flash forward. Was that because they were sleeping? Because half the people on the planet would have been sleeping? Or was it because they're dead? 
And so again, it, it, it started to really go down some interesting um, ethical paths and some moral paths and some, you know, questions of belief. And it was just this fantastic premise. And what ended up happening was in the, like the show uh, through the one season went from the time the people had their flash forward in the first episode to all of those things actually happening to those characters in the final episode. And as a part of that, in the final episode, there was another flash. And so everybody got new visions, but they weren't, it wasn't clear how far ahead were these flashes. Were they another full calendar year? Were they happening longer, shorter, whatever? And so although most of the storylines got wrapped up in the sense that we as the audience got to see and finally understood what all the flash forwards actually meant. And you got to understand, Oh, well that's why that person was in that circumstance or, Oh, that's how come that person was doing that thing. Or, Oh geez, that's why that person didn't have a flash forward. They were actually dead or, Oh no, they were just sleeping. And so there was some satisfaction with that part of the show, but the last five minutes of the, of the, of the first season of the last episode there was another flash forward and you got to see everybody's second flash forward. And you're like, Oh my God, some of those look amazing. Why did that happen? And the show never got picked up. And so you're like, Oh, I, I need closure. I want to know what happens. And so again, it wasn't a huge ratings hit, but it's one of those shows where if you were into it and I was really into it, I was so disappointed that we never got a second season. So that is my number one pick for what I would most have loved to have seen another season is flash forward. And just a note for the novel in the novel, the characters had a flash forward that was 20 years ahead. And so although a lot of the characters in the show were based on characters in the novel, that was the biggest deviation uh, uh, from the book to the show. The book is still excellent and I strongly recommend it, but the show took it, took on its own life. It was super good. So my number one pick for uh, what I would absolutely have loved to see in a second season flash forward. Flash forward. Well, you know, that's what this podcast is all about. You know, mentioning things, you know, we like what we like, you know, so that's what it is. Okay. So my number one, um, we've mentioned this, uh, this show several times on the podcast. And in fact, you know, it was your number four and it's my number one. So I believe that this show didn't just deserve one more season. I think it deserves several. And I'm going to stand by my argument that this is one of the top 10 TV shows in the history of television. I really think it was that good. And that is the aforementioned 1999 seminal show, Freaks and Geeks. And I say seminal because, as you mentioned, Derek, it launched the careers of people like Seth Rogen and James Franco and Jason Segal and Busy Phillips and Linda Cardellini. And it also featured Tom Wilson. He was Biff, you know, from Back to the Future. And oh, yeah fellow Canadian Joe Flaherty. I'm glad you mentioned him because, you know, he's great. And maybe for me, it maybe it helps that I, I went to high school, you know, around the time that this TV show was set. But even if you didn't go to school back in the 80s, whenever you went to high school, this show has something for you. It is the single most realistic portrayal of teenagers, I think, in high school, outside of maybe John Hughes movies. Um... The show was co-created and executive produced by Judd Apatow, and it just comes across as just so, so realistic, you know? Whether you were a geek, like me and Derek, <laughs> you know, or if, if you were a freak, you know, like the stoners and the rockers on the show, or even if you just knew people who were part of, you know, these social groups, 
you can just you you get how realistic that this show is. And and the thing is, it tackled you know some it tackled some tough issues like like transgender teens. And this was at a time when people didn't really talk about that sort of thing. And it I don't know it just it it showed how much you can get pulled into one group or the other. And it 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 really kind of spoke to the fact that when you're a teenager, you just want to fit in. You know, that's it. And Lindsay goes from being a mathlete to joining the Rockers because she's trying to figure out who she is. You know, that's that's sort of the crux of the whole story. And 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 she's trying to come to grips with her her identity. And there's a time in, in people's lives when peer pressure is everything. And, and, and the thing is, all of this happened in a span of 18 episodes, like you mentioned, Derek. And mm-hmm. the thing is, the show just couldn't find an audience and it got canceled. And it's just too bad. The, the, the show was amazing. If you have not seen this show, you've, you've obviously heard about it. We, we talk about it. But you've heard about it because it is an outstanding show. So I think you really need to go check it out. I think it's still on Netflix, if I'm not mistaken. So um, go and check it out there. It's just Freaks and Geeks. It's just so, it definitely deserved another season. It was just, oh man, so good. Anyway, so that's our top five list. So time now to have some fun with Caveman. All right, Derek. We've mentioned before here on the podcast that the fact that you enjoy a little bit of gambling. You know, uh, yeah, that's that's putting it mildly. Sure. <laughs> so and part I've of gambling known to place a bet or two in my day. Yeah. And, and as you know, part of gambling involves picking the over under on things. So that's since we're talking favorite, about that's te- my favorite sports bet is I the over and under. I know you like this. So I love so the over and under. We're talking about TV shows that deserved another season this week, obviously. So I thought we'd do a little over under game on the number of seasons that some different TV shows actually ran. Oh, okay. Good, okay. good. Okay. So here's yeah, how it works. Where this goes. Really, yeah. really easy. Straightforward. It's 50-50, right? So you're going to kill it, right? So I'm going to give you a TV series, and I'm going to give you the over-under on how many seasons that it ran in total. All you got to do okay. is just pick the over and the under. Okay, got it? Okay, yep. Super easy. I'm going to also use half numbers. Absolutely. You've got to. No pushes I, here. You need yeah, a definitive answer. Pushes. pushes suck. You know, they're yep. dumb. Okay, so here we go. Cheers. The over-under, 10.5. So before you say the number, in my mind, I'm thinking, how many? I'm like, I and I was like, I think Cheers ran about nine or ten seasons. So you said 10.5 is the over and under. I'm going to take the under. No, it's the over. It was it ran 11 seasons. Oh, I was close. 82 to 93. Okay, mash, mash. The over-under, 12.5. Wow. I mean, I'm thinking seven. Um Jeez. No, I'm going to take the under on that, too. That seems really high. Yes, it ran 11 seasons, though, from 72 to 83. Okay, The Cosby Show. The Cosby Show, the over-under, I'll give you is 8.5. I was just going to say, I think it's 8. I'm going to go with 8, so I'll say under. 84 to 92, it ran eight seasons. You are correct. Okay, Saturday Night... It's always easier to make the bet when you know the answer. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Saturday Night Live, SNL. Over under 45.5 years. I I think it's as old as I am, so I'm going to say over. Currently in its 46th season. It debuted yeah, back it, it, on October the 11th, 1975, Derek. Yeah. Right. Okay, 
Who's the boss? Over under 8.5. My guess would be 10, so I'm going to say over. Oh, it was the under. It was eight seasons from 84 to 92. Okay. Okay. Now, I know there's been something like five different specialized versions of this show, but okay, I'm looking for the original series here, and that's Law and Order. Over under 18.5. Oh, no, definitely over. Yeah, 20 years. It was yeah, I was going to say 20 would have been my guess. Yeah, 1990 yep. to 2010. Okay, it's Urkel time. No Family bug. Matters. Over under 7.5. Mm, I don't know. Never watch a show. Uh, let's go with over. See, it's 50 50. You're going to get these. It was nine seasons that it ran. Wow. 89 to 98. Okay, Night Court. The over-under on Night Court, 9.5. My guess would have been 9, so I'm going to go with the under. It was 9 seasons. You're correct. Yeah, I was pretty sure. Okay. Now, we mentioned Bronson Pinchot recently on the podcast. Oh, we, we talked Dr. about Bartakamus. Yeah, we talked about Beverly Hills Cop. We talked about True Romance. And he was in Perfect Strangers on TV. So, Perfect Strangers, over-under, 7.5. What do you think? Wow. I wouldn't have thought it was anywhere close to that number, but uh, let's go with the under. Eight seasons, 86 wow, to 93. That is know. incredible. No, no, no. Okay, Elf. Elf, the over-under is 4.5. No, I think that was more. I'm going to go with the over. Oh, it was only four seasons. Just really? four seasons, 86 to 1990. I'm sorry. So you, you did pretty good on that, but as it just goes to show that the over-under is not as easy as you think. No, no. That's why I'm not a rich man. Yeah, there you go. So, okay, next week, Derek, we're going to be reviewing a movie once again, and it's over to you to nominate a film. So what movie do you want us to watch and review? So I figure I've I've been pretty fortunate that you've enjoyed a lot of my picks recently. So I want to pad my numbers a little bit. I figure I'm going to go with something that I'm pretty sure you're going to enjoy because it was a pretty good, well-received movie. I'm going to get you to watch The Departed from 2006, directed by Martin Scorsese. It's got a huge cast of who's who, Leonardo DiCaprio, Matt Damon, Jack Nicholson, Mark Wahlberg, the aforementioned Martin Sheen. Mm -hmm. It's got a huge cast. It's got huge pedigree. The movie is a little on the long side. It's two two hours and 31 minutes. Mm -hmm. I haven't actually seen this in probably 10 years or more. I remember when it came out, I saw in the theater. I remember when it came out on video. I watched it a couple of times after that. I haven't seen it probably since then, but you know what? It's, it's time to give it another watch. So check out the departed 2006 Martin Scorsese. It's the one he finally won his Oscar for whether you agree that it was Oscar worthy or not. Hopefully you'll enjoy it. We'll come back next week. We'll talk all about it. Should be interesting. Yeah. I remember when he won the Oscar for this, this was, you know, you and I talk about this all the time. This was a body of work Oscar. Absolutely. If ever there was one, but I have Absolutely. not seen the departed, uh, heard about it, but I thought, uh, oh, looked okay. You know, that's, but I mean, who knows? Maybe it's a great film that I just have not seen. I mean, that's always the thing. So I will definitely well, give the departed a look. Yeah. And like I said, I haven't seen it in a while. I do know I can just there's certain things, certain parts of the movie I do remember very well. Other parts I'm sure will seem brand new. I know that 
knowing that it's set, I believe it was supposed to be set in the time in which it was filmed, which is 2005, 2006. Mm -hmm. I know there's going to be some stuff in there that is not going to hold up well by today's lens, but I think the overall story will, uh, will still hold up. And obviously the performance, you got to cast that good. You know, the performance is going to hold up. So I love the fact that you say a movie from 2006 probably won't hold up all that good. Well, it's just I, I can think of certain scenes that I know already. Yeah. It's like I'm cringing just thinking about them because I know. But in a movie that's two and a half hours, if there's only a couple of scenes that are really awkward, uh, you know, it's not to excuse the movie, but there's going to be a lot more to like than dislike, I think. I don't know. It's been a long time since I watched it either. So let's give it a watch and we'll come back next week and talk all about it. If your movie from 2006 doesn't hold up well, what's that say about my movies from pre-1989? So that's the way it is. Okay, so we will watch The Departed. We'll come back next week and we will review it. We'll talk all about it. And until then, this is Chris McBrien for Derek Meyer saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show.